Welcome to 3PL Live, a new podcast brought to you by 3PL Systems. Today, I'm excited to interview Matt Mugar, co-founder of Bow Logistics, about his founding story. Hey, Matt, for all the people out there that don't know you, go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, where did you grow up? Hey, good morning, Jeremy. This is Matt Mugar with Bow Logistics. And uh, I was born and raised in sunny Los Angeles, California. Oh yeah, I love Los Angeles. I grew up there as well. As you know, we both knew each other back in our what early twenties was it? We met like directly out of college, didn't we? Yeah, like, fifteen, sixteen years ago. Yep, it's crazy times. I believe when I met you too, you were <laughs> you were working. Um, you had just graduated, or you might have been you'd still been going there to CSUN, I believe, for a business degree, and then you were working at Fred Siegel at the time. And then um, we'll That's get right. To- um, yeah, I guess we can get into the creation story of Boa later, but I think uh, when we first met, um, I was graduating from Cal State University in Northridge, and I did—I was getting a communications degree, and I was working part-time in a clothing store uh, called Fred Siegel in Santa Monica, and for some of you guys that may or may not know what that is, it's just kind of an upscale couture clothing store where all the cool kids would go shopping that right? place was super expensive i just remember going in there and the jeans and they were like 150 200 bucks um yeah it was it was no joke <laughs> santa monica staple well we sold t-shirts <laughs> they sold t-shirts that were 50 dollars a t-shirt for plain colored t-shirts Jeez. and i knew then i was like i am working in a different like uh planet <laughs> with people who buy 50 dollar t-shirts back in 2004. It's all part of the origin stories of BOA. We talk about it quite fondly and there's a lot of funny stories to it. Um, I got my my chance at freight and logistics through through coincidence and chance, right? And um, what had happened was it was a three-day holiday weekend and I, so for all the listeners here, Tristan Bordalo is a mutual friend of Jeremy and I. And Tristan and I happened to share a, a one-time class in, in college. And we had known each other maybe a couple of years back. And a couple of years had gone, he had already graduated. And I was on my last semester at school working at this clothing store for Siegel. On a three-day holiday, he had come into the store and was shopping. Now, a little backstory. When he had met me a couple years before that, I wasn't in my best physical shape. And I had, you know, over the, the course of two years, I had gotten into really good shape. So I had dropped maybe 30 pounds, and he didn't recognize me when I when he came in. Right? <laughs> I had to remind him, hey, we were in class together. Right? That's was, funny. Oh, I don't even recognize you, man. So anyways, uh, as you know, Tristan was probably oblivious to who I was back then. And uh, when he started talking, oh, yeah, I totally remember taking that class with you. So he started talking, and I, what I was noticing was he had a pile of jeans and clothing that was quickly escalating to be, I don't know, back then it was like $1,000. Yes. And, you know, you and I, are, you know, we're college kids, and who's, who's buying $1,000 worth of jeans, right? So I saw something in there, and I just said, I don't know what this guy is doing or who he's working for, what he does or how he does to get it. I need to find out and do whatever he's doing. So I took a chance 
at the time, Tristan and I were just, you know, school friends from the past. And I just said to him, looked him straight in the face and said, hey, Tristan, I'll give you 50% on whatever you buy today if you give me an interview to the place you work at, right? I love that. Did that's, you ever know that, Jeremy? I, I did not know that. Oh, I no. think I think that's a super cool story just because you were able to like kind of just see that someone was doing well and you weren't scared to ask how he got there and to help out. I think that's cool. Yeah, well, I saw he was doing well. He seemed so confident in what he was doing. He was working. He said logistics and freight and trucking. And all I heard was wah, 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 wah. You know, like the Charlie Brown adult. Sure. Wah, 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 wah. All I saw was what he was buying and where he was at. And I said, okay, something about me. Something something here is, is, is whatever he's doing. And he said sales. Now, mind you. I had never worked in a sales position that made commission or had goals or anything. I was working in a hot clothing store because of pretty young girls and being in college. That's just honest <laughs> truth, right? I was Fair. single. I mean, I was single and ready to mingle. That's why I was there, right? Yeah. What made me realize I wanted to get into sales? Because when the person said sales, that's why it perked up. Because at this particular job working at Fred Siegel, we didn't make commission. Yet we, I found out by working in my interactions with selling clothes to women. Okay. By the way, I'm a man. Okay. Selling clothes to women. Love it. Right. <laughs> and it, it, it's not the easiest thing to do, especially high, high couture clothing. You have to be able to look at a woman, uh, know what sizes will fit her with different brands. Right. And understand there's a psychology behind everything you do. So as I, as I did this for about a year, selling clothes to women and becoming a top seller without commission over there, I realized, I said to myself, shoot, I have to get into anything that's sales related, right? Um, and, I'm, and I thought to myself, you know what, I might be okay at this. So when Tristan came along uh, and he said sales and he said, I'm working, you know, in just some trade, I said, look, I'll give 50% off, you know, which is like 500 bucks. You know, if you just get me an interview wherever you're at. And funny enough, he said, bet. I, I, and I really thought he was just, you know, blowing smoke up my, my rear, right? I didn't care. He was my friend. I was going to give him 50% anyway. And the great thing about Tristan was the very next day, he said, hey, dude, two things. I said, what? And back then I had a T-Mobile sidekick. I don't know if you remember what those are. <laughs> so I pulled up my T-Mobile sidekick, flipped it up, and he started messaging because he had one too. And he said, "Hey, dude, two things: one, send uh, send me your resume, right? And two, change your damn voicemail. It's unprofessional, right?" <laughs> so I, classic Tristan. I, I did both of those. Yeah, I did both of those things. So this is what happened. You know, I didn't even know what I was doing yet. I, I took the interview. It was a it was a it was a Tuesday, right? Uh, on Monday, he called me, said, "Hey, send me your resume and change your damn voicemail, right?" <laughs> and on Tuesday, I I got an interview that week, that same week, and it was with we both know Ferdy uh, from Diversified, oh, right? Ferdy. And yeah, and a funny story is that what if for whatever reason he asked for the interview to be at seven a.m., right? And this is a this is this is kind of a feat because a college kid that's been working in clothing stores, you know, 
I've never been up past uh, up earlier past 10 a.m. at the time, right? And uh, he said 7 a.m. So I remember uh, I went to that interview, uh, and just to be fully transparent, <laughs> I went out the night before and partied and you know did my thing and I showed up and I was like whoa thinking three hours and I showed up to this place I go this is not Cutco knives I thought I was going to be selling Cutco knives or like Amway or something this is a legit business here in Torrance right so I walk in and I think it was right when your dad uh when you guys had just moved into the new place from San Pedro so it was at that new Torrance location so I remember I walked in and I remember having that interview with Ferdy and Ferdy was so doggone stoic Mm -hmm. and straight face and not a smile, not a nothing. Right. And I was like, shoot, I'm, I'm bombing this interview. Right. (laughs) And, uh, anyways, long story short, we, we kind of bonded on the banking side. Right. And, um, we ended up, I ended up getting uh, a second interview on Thursday, but I, it was my graduation week. So on Wednesday, I graduated from college at Caltech Northridge. Thursday was my second interview, and it was with Mark Meskin and Robbie Thone. And Friday was the day I started freight, so freight school. Um, and that's how I started working in freight, diversifying transportation. You know, what was your first thoughts? I mean, I, I'm just curious on yours because when I first started getting into it, I thought it was just there was a lot of just complicated, weird yeah. terms, and just it wasn't oh, very man. easy to learn. You're gonna find whoever's listening to this is. I, I hope you guys are gonna laugh, you know, with this whole podcast because I'm just gonna be straight with you guys. At 8 a.m. and I was sitting in this this new job. There were two other people in the the class that were starting to a guy named Son Kim and another girl named Jules Warsham. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we were there starting and I remember sitting in the class going, what the hell am I selling? I have no idea what we're doing here. I, I didn't even know what logistics was at the time. And I said, I still think I'm here to sell cut cone knives. Right? <laughs> I, I don't know what Tristan was selling. Right. I don't know if your stamps or whatever. And finally, when they start training, when the class starts beginning and we start going through it, I remember there was a break at 10 a.m. And during that time, I got a message from my old manager. And my old manager said, hey, Matt, um, why don't we do this? We want you back. We'll promote you to assistant manager at Fred Siegel, right? Always the case, and right? <laughs> Life. <laughs> yeah, I was like, dude, Really? You know, and, and, you know, I was, you know, 24 at the time, 25 at the time, you know, I'd never really worked a full-time job before. And, you know, all my friends were at that store, right? And I just thought, okay. And then I remember I was on my break and I was just thinking to myself, and back then I used to smoke cigarettes and I was on my second cigarette and I was like, you know, you could just get up and leave, right? And go straight to Spreads Eagle and work. And then I said to myself, you know what, Matt? No, you need to go back in there and and finish the day out and really figure out what, what's happening here. See the opportunity. There's a reason why Tristan's here, right? There's a reason why these individuals are here. Figure out what, what exactly it is. You need to grow up. You know, you just graduated college two days ago. Time to Time to step up. And, you know, that's what I did. And every single day I showed up, 
I started getting into it. And the honest truth, Jeremy, is that it was hard for me, you know? It was completely hard for me and unbeknownst maybe to Ferdy and whoever else was in the class. Um, I sucked at cold calling, uh, fake cold calling, you know, like the mock cold like calls, role playing, yeah, role playing. <laughs> yeah, I hate those. I sucked at them. I, I, I would stumble over my words. I would, I, I mean, and, and all you sales reps and all you owners that were sales reps before, you know what I'm talking about. When you actually have to start the whole process of cold calling using CRMs, and back then we didn't use CRMs. We actually used customer profile sheets and binders, right? Mm-hmm. We used rate disks to run rates. So long story short, it was it was not easy for me. I mean, I was so ashamed of of how I how I took the first you know few weeks of training that I had I had asked to move my feet away from the other sales reps because I was too embarrassed to make cold calls. Right. I'm with you. So, that's, that's a hard thing to do yeah. in front of people when you have an audience and you don't really know what you're talking about and you're yeah, and to- everyone was doing so good. Everyone was doing so good, right? And, but lo and behold, I, I knew what I was. I, I've always been a competitor, at least with myself. And I had made a promise to myself that I was going to make, I was going to hit goals and I was going to do this. And, uh, you know. So how did you as, as the, get past that yeah. ramp as far as, um, you know, from the initial just overwhelmed with, being around all these new people, you have Ferdy there that was kind of stoic at first, and then you're yeah. in this new place, and you're you're having to cold call, role play in front of people. How did you like overcome that, and then get your first, I guess, client oh, on board? Oh yeah, I, I remember every, every. I'm like an elephant; I never forget. That's a good <laughs> thing and a bad thing at times. Okay, so um, so what happened was I remember I was cold calling, and I was the slowest to start. People were getting their first set of quotes from different uh, lead potentials. People were getting their first credit apps. And after three weeks of, you know, hammering on the phone, 50 to 75 calls a day, I finally get my first voicemail and first person that wants to do a shipment with me. I remember it was just a one LTL shipment, <clears throat> cost us $60, but it took me like three hours to build the load select the carrier to do the paperwork because I was so nervous that I wanted this to go right. You know, think about it, three hours to build up an LTL load, right? I'm with and you then. <laughs> it took me three weeks and three hours to build one shipment for this, this no name company in Arkansas. Right. And, uh, I said, is this really worth my time? Am I really going to do this for my life? And I said, yeah, of course you are. And, you know, I just stuck to, to doing the work and, and just like working out and being on a diet for being in fitness, you just got to do the reps. And as I started doing the reps, things really started to, to fall into place. And, you know, kudos to Ferdy for giving us the basic foundations of LTL freight, you know, because of what we learned in his class, we were able to build a solid business. So. Um, after that, you know, things kind of took off like wildfire and I ended up starting to get really good at being on the phone. And most importantly, I was much better in person. Mm. I realized that the, the me on the phone is not even 
half as good as me in person. So I was always trying to set appointments to visit people. I remember there was one time on my first day on the field, because remember, I had never worked in a professional environment. I didn't really own any business casual attire. All I had was clubbing outfits, <laughs> right? And and a suit. So I remember Tristan had said, hey, you know, my style is I come in a polo shirt. I just let everyone know I'm, I'm easy going. So I took that as, okay, I'm going to dress nice. But I showed up and, and Ferdy and the guys goes, man, you look like you're going to the club, man. <laughs> right? I said, I had a striped shirt, striped polo shirt, and I had like gray jeans and some some fancy shoes. And I just like, well, what do I do? <laughs> well, you, you need to go get like a collared shirt with a long sleeve and some, some slacks. And I said, oh my God, I don't own any of that. So on my first day on the field, I looked like a, a party boy. And I learned really quickly after that, I need to go get some regular toned down clothing and that's exactly what i did so that's funny yeah i want to get into boa logistics but before we get into boa do you mind yeah. explaining to everyone what your i guess idea of a freight brokerage is and then um sure. let's talk about boa so a freight brokerage uh is is basically a type of business in the logistics world that They've been coined 3PL, third-party logistics, where you're the middleman, whether you're a one-person shop or a a hundred-person shop, where you're the intermediary, where you bring carriers and you bring clients together to meet in the middle. And that's basically what Bow Logistics is. Um, uh, Not not too far uh, from what diversified transportation is. Whole Logistics is 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 a three PL freight brokerage company where all of its business and revenues come from relationships between carriers and clients. Makes sense. And then how? So Walter is your co-founder, business partner. I know you guys do capital audit together. How did how did you guys meet? And then how did you guys? Sure. Um, I guess start Boa. So this is a great story. Part of our creation story, right? How, how it came about so that people, people know what were motivating factors, right? Sure. Um, Walter was a training partner of mine in Brazilian martial arts. So we both do, we both are instructors in the art form of capoeira, which is an Afro-Brazilian martial art, but we also do train the other Brazilian martial art, which is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So his uncle is a very famous teacher from Brazil. He was my teacher and he was brought in from Brazil back in the early 2000s to to help train and teach with the rest of the, our teammates. You know, one of the things that stuck out about Walter was that he was different than most of the regular athletes there. He always, he came from an, you know, he had a, a college education from Brazil and he also worked in logistics in Brazil. So when he found out that I was working at, in freight, Right away, we started, you know, we were already friends and he was always trying to get in to work with me, right? So initially, when he first came on board, Diversified was doing a round of um, a round of hiring, right? And they had hired, I think, 11 or 12 people across the nation. But most of it was in California. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. They had like, it was back in 2006 or seven, I think. And it was, I mean, back then, I mean, Freight was just going bananas, right? I mean, Diversified was just on a rampage and everyone knew that. And 
we had so many sales reps during the sales meetings and I think they were going for to grow the inside sales staff. And during that time they went through a hiring spree and I had asked uh, if Walter, my friend could be considered for the sales class. Um, in the end he was turned down. Um, and you know, for reasons, you know, for whatever reasons there were at the time, he was turned down. Um, and I think it had a lot to do with, he had moved from Brazil and they didn't think that his accent or his English was on the par to do cold call sales. You know what I mean? That's too bad. That's, that's, that's kind of what happened. And I, I totally understand from a business perspective, they were hiring people based on spots and whoever had experience would go there. And of course, Walter had the, just experience, but maybe he didn't have the cold call sales experience and combined with him just moving from Brazil, you know, but Walter was relentless. Okay. <laughs> as, as some of you guys will know, Walter is relentless in business as well. He is in fighting and in, in training. He's relentless. So for 12 months straight, he kept coming back, you know, and he kept pushing me and he kept pushing me to try to talk to Mark and Robbie and Ferdy. And in the end, they gave him a spot to come on in as, but not as a, an employee. Uh, and the, the rule was he would come in as a 1099 independent contractor and that I would be responsible for his training to a certain extent. Right. Um, of course he could tap into utilizing the company resources when he was there and, you know, lean on any, any of the staff as if he was a regular independent contractor, but really the real training happened between me and Walter mm-hmm. behind the scenes, right. For those first, you know, few months that he was there and also throughout that year. Um, but right away, Walter, Walter took to it like a fish out of water. You know, he brought his own computer to, to the office. They gave him a, a folding table to work with in that one conference room. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, there were a bunch of people there working. I still remember there were like six people, five to six people that were still in that room, including the other six that were out there in the end. Walter did such a great job at the end of the year. I believe his, his sales numbers alone were greater than the 12 other sales reps um, combined. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's an, so, I, I remember uh, him being very hardworking and very disciplined from what I remember. And he was just always on yeah. it. Um, did he have a family at that right. time too? I wasn't, I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Had like a kid. So, yeah. So, I think this is one of the fires that lit him up. He was living in a small one bedroom apartment in, in Venice and he had just had a baby. So the baby was two months old. So he was, you know, he had the Jesus fire. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He was like, I'm, I'm not going to stop. But I think, uh, and, and let me just retract that. When I, I think him and uh, another guy there, which was Joseph, I think both of them were both successful out of that sales group. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I might be mistaken. I don't I don't want to speak out of turn, but I, I, I do believe that both of those guys combined, um, you know, uh, had the best numbers out of those 12 to 13 people that were there. Right. But, you know, at the time, you know, uh, Walter wasn't given the luxury of, of salary and, and benefits. Right. He was just an independent contractor. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think those are some of the best opportunities for people is when they go, you know, you either sink or swim. And I think that that's what happened, you know. Uh, out of that class, I think the only two that remained were, and, and it's hard because I own, you know, now that we own a business for over 10 years, you know, keeping sales reps and keeping them motivated and, and understanding psychology and all that, it's hard, man. It's super hard. And the fact that two out of maybe that dozen survived that, that round seems better than what I've experienced in terms of congruency percentages over the course of my 10 years keeping sales reps. So it's, you know, we'll probably get into that later, but yeah, it's, that's the, that's the story, you know? So anyways, one, yeah. So anyways, after, after one year of him working at diversified, the economy hit. And in 2008, 2009, we all remember the housing market crash and we were doing all of our own work. And then one day I just said, you know, man, um, I told, I said, Walter, you know, maybe we should just open up our own, our own, our own business and, and just do this on our own because, you know, shoot, I think it's time, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, we, we let Diversified know what we were going to do and we wish them luck. Then we went off on our own. That's how Boa started. Were you terrified at that initial, I guess there's probably excitement and a little bit of, being terrified all wrapped into one. Do you remember like your thought process at that time? I was not terrified one iota. That's because I was ignorant and dumb. <laughs> awesome. I, I say, what was going through your head? You were just super excited at the time and just, yeah, um... we were, we, we were super excited. We weren't really worried about what could go wrong. We, we, we thought everything was going to be hunky dory. We, we, we basically opened up shop in my, in my, my mom's house in my old bedroom and we put two desks, a computer and a fax machine and we went to work. Um, but we, there were a lot of rude, I mean, it was a rude awakening in regards to what the market really was like and what it was like to start a new brokerage firm. And we had so many different pitfalls, so many different booby traps that we, we fell into or we had to avoid. And it was a lot harder than than we thought it was initially going to be. Mm. What were some of those, I guess, initial pitfalls that happened? And were, was there any times where you're just like, "Oh crap, I don't know if we're going to continue um, on"? Or yeah, I mean, we were completely innocent in the ways of business, right? We thought it was going to be this perfect marriage of clients and vendors and profit, right? But there are so many different things like, okay, how do we start a business? How much money do you have to start a business? Walter and I started the business with a couple thousand dollars each, right? And I think I remember we had like um, $4,000 in the bank at the time, right? And... We got our first full truckload from here to like New York. And back then the truckloads were, you know, around $4,000, mm-hmm. right? And we, we build like $4,800, right? Which is 20%. And I remember doing this and thinking to myself, I only have $4,000 in my bank account. 
right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what are we going to do? How are we going to float the bills? And I remember I had to make the decision on our first ever load. And I remember dispatching this on an Excel sheet that we made up. Okay. it's <laughs> awesome. So we didn't have a TMS. We didn't have any of that. So what we did was we, we took Excel sheets and we just sent dispatch sheets that we created and bill lading and all of that. We did all of that on our own. And I remember as soon as I set the shipment up, I finally understood cash flow. In a way, you know, I was like, shoot, I'm billing 4,800. The cost of this is 4,000. We have 4,000 in our bank account. What do we do? Mm -hmm. And this is just one load, right? So I found a way to get paid earlier, right? Uh, And then I found a way to stretch that carry invoice like by a few days. And that was kind of the way that we started our momentum, you know? pretty cool we had to do that on every single uh we had to scale on that level from the from from the ground up so that was it were you trying to initially i guess kind of take i guess be smart about which loads you were initially taking at first and just kind of trying to stay away from certain (laughs) loads or i mean i I think i would i would i i I wish that i was as smart as you (laughs) but we said yes to everything (laughs) (laughs) We're crazy, man. I mean, Walter and I are crazy. We said yes to everything. That's awesome. The things man. we're supposed. To, yeah, and by the way, as business owners, you have to learn when to say no, right, to a lot of things. But when you're beginning, you're saying yes to everything. And I remember there was a uh, a project that we got introduced to, like early on, like like three months into our like beginning, right. And it was like a huge rollout. It was like 300 shipments, right? And it had to be done within 48 hours, right? That's a lot. Yeah. And we had to figure out who the vendor, who the carrier was going to be. And we had to figure out how we were going to roll it out. And this is all new for us. We didn't Remember, we didn't have a TMS. So this is all by right? hand at that point. Yeah. Well, we had to figure out how we were going to do it. In the 11th hour, we figured out, we created a, we, we brokered out a deal with Global Trans at the time when they were just starting out their agent program. Mm. And we built all the loads and we knocked it out within 24 hours. And the whole, it was a huge, it was when Barnes and Nobles was closing. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. So it was a, it was getting products to their stores or out of their stores that so they could close up or whatever. And we, we did it. And I remember we had put ourselves on the line for, I don't know, tens of thousands of dollars. And that was a lot of money back then. Mm -hmm. And the gross profit that came out of that one job was like 30,000. Right. And that was the nut that started the whole, that started the actual real momentum. I can actually isolate three different uh, uh, times in our last 10 years that was make it or break it. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs are going to figure that out. Hindsight is 2020. You either move left or right. And if you move in the wrong direction, you're done. Mm-hmm. Right. And for whatever reason, in these three different situations, um, we moved left and, or we moved right. And, and, and it worked out for us. So in that particular situation, how many shipments was it? Like, it was 300? like 300. 
Yeah. So yeah. Where, when you took on that particular, I guess, client, did you know you were, you kind of knew that you were kind of taking on something pretty big, something maybe a little bit bigger than you could chew, but you knew that you needed it. Is that kind of correct? Oh, yeah. Uh, again, I told you, we said yes to everything, <laughs> right? So... No, I think it's cool. I mean, I think it's great yeah. to just kind of go into it and just do everything that you can. And during that time, were you guys just working kind of... I'm, I'm taking it you were probably just working around the clock to get that one done. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we worked night and day for that one, you know. What's funny enough was that we had moved into our first office, which was this really ghetto, rinky-dink office across the street from Tito's Tacos in 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 Culver City. If you, if you know, if you're familiar with Tito's Tacos, there's City. a gas station. There's a, there's a mechanic station across the street from Tito's. And mm-hmm. there is these old, like, apartment buildings. It's like a six-unit building. It's really dilapidated. It's old. That the landlord converted them into offices. And he turned bedrooms into offices. And one, our first office was there. We called it the Tito's Tacos office. <laughs> and we had to share a bathroom with all of the... It was an outside bathroom that everyone had to use. Um, and I remember it was so bad. And I remember when we got the deal, I just remember things like the internet would fail. So Walter and I would be sitting at the corner window of our small little office trying to steal internet from the from the mechanic garage downstairs. That's funny. It's hilarious, actually, <laughs> working on little laptops scrunched up by the mirror, by, by the window, because Time Warner Cable couldn't come out for two weeks. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I remember this very well, actually. <laughs> How much was that first lease, if you don't mind me asking? Say it again? Do you remember how much rent was back then, just out of curiosity? Oh, I remember it was so expensive for us. Probably. I remember it was a whopping $350 a month. Oh, that's not too bad. But yeah, it's still, any any sort of expenses going <laughs> out is still awful when you're just starting out, you know? So. It, was, it, was, it was hard because, you know, when we were working in my mom's house, it was, it was free, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and making the jump, to start to spend money and invest as always as most entrepreneurs here will probably attest to you know what, what needs to get done but making that decision to pull the trigger to invest in yourself sometimes because of fear or insecurity we hold back mm-hmm. and I remember all these little decisions like like moving into an office paying $350 extra per month but that that's just the rent when you're there, you got to pay for utilities. You got to pay for, um, you got to pay for phone lines now, right? Mm-hmm. So all of these starts to add up, you know. And you know, at the time when you're just barely breaking even, or if you're at a loss, you can. It's easy to be afraid and, and not make those decisions and just stick to the status quo of what you're working on, you know. Do you think that the office or helped working. out as well? I guess to become like, of course, more. Yeah, uh, totally. It changed the whole perception. And, you know, interesting enough, Robbie, you know, he's seen every single one of our offices. He's visited us at every single one of our offices from my, my parents' house all the way to our current office and the warehouses. And he's seen us. And when you, when you, when you go from having nothing and then going to a, like, a, I gotta, I gotta say that the warehouse, that office is probably smaller than your, than your bedroom you know, growing up, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but it changes the mentality. And this is where I learned 
something. And I have this this thing that I teach about here at Boa. I call it the the expanding your fish tank uh, theory, right? And are you familiar with this? No, fish I've never. Tank theory, I, the goldfish theory. I have not actually. Okay, so growing up, my mother raised koi fish. Okay, koi is a type of carp, and a carp is a, a and goldfish are a type of carp, right? So growing up, my mother raised koi fish, and I watched her, and still to the day, she still does, and she taught me that. The carp or the koi will grow to the size of its enclosure. Mm. Okay, but the one thing that they don't tell you is you can't just take a small little koi fish and then throw it into a big pond. Okay, it will die, not because it gets eaten by other fish, which is also a a problem. It's because a small fish needs to acclimate to the nitrates and the oxygen levels and the space and the cold and all. There's so many moving factors, right? Mm-hmm. So when you when you introduce a fish, uh, a, a new fish to a new pond, everything has to be in the right place for it to grow, right? But the same thing goes if you take a big fish and you throw it into a smaller tank, it could suffocate. Right, it could suffocate through the nitrates. Nitrates is basically crap that the fish poos out, right? And the effects it does, the oxygen levels are lower, right? So I always, I always tell people, you got to expand your fish tank, and what that means is to go from a small fish to a medium fish, a medium fish to a big fish, you have to change your 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 fish tank or your pond enclosure. And every time you do that, that means you have to you have to take a risk. Of going into a new environment, yeah, you have to risk going into it and knowing you're going to survive. Because if you survive, you're going to grow. So moving from diversified transportation with a with a cushy relationship with my friends and my uh, you know all the people that I looked up to, you know CJ, Ferdy, Tristan. All these guys that were there, you know, some of the older sales rep guys, you know, Bobby Stone, you know, Robbie, Mark, all, all you guys, you know, Jeremy, you too, you know, all we, we all, to move from that comfortable place that was home and then to start off on your own, that's expanding your fish tank. Mm-hmm. To moving from working at my mom's house to paying for rent and our phone lines is expanding our fish tank. Every time we moved and hired a new employee, that was expanding the fish tank, right? And uh, it's, it's hard. It, and, and, and and it was definitely scary. So No, I'm with you. I feel like every time that I've taken a risk and done something scary, whether it be like working for a, co- a new company and sometimes failing as well, just like, you know, I feel yeah. like that sometimes you, you end up failing for whatever reason. And this last time, actually, I was working at a company called um, Soothe and then we were kind of like the Uber of massage therapy and then COVID-19 hit. Yeah. And of course no one wants yeah. to get massage. So it's just, you never know what's going to, what's going to happen with whatever you're doing in life. But I think that you're right. You right. you have to keep on like moving to a new tank um, or just right. moving in general, just because otherwise it's just like, you never want to stay stuck or stagnant. How Speaking that's, of which, how do you, right. how do you do that in, in business as well? Because it seems like, you know, with Boa, I would feel like I would want to want to stay like in the same kind of lane. Have you guys kind of 
stayed in the same sort of lane since you started or have you guys done a lot of pivots over the, over the time? Oh, no, not at all. We've done a lot of pivots. We've experienced a lot of times people look at certain successes such as being on Inc. 5,000 list six years in a row. It's like, oh man, you guys have been consistently growing for the 10 years you guys have been in existence and you know, you get all these, you know, you have a larger staff and we're hitting growth and revenue and profit and all that. But, you know, the honest truth is what you guys don't see behind the curtain, behind the veil, is that there's a lot of failures that happen. You know, we failed on not being prepared for many things that came along our way, right? We had, but failing forward mm-hmm. is, is an example of expanding your fish tank too, right? You have to try. you got to keep going and, you know, one of the things that we started off with when we started, but we were 99.99% LTL dry. Today, 10 years later, we're about 20% LTL dry and 80% a hodgepodge mix of services that run the gamut from international ocean uh, freight forwarding, because we're now a global freight forwarder and NVO to warehousing and drayage, which we do quite a bit, to own, owning our, our, our assets company and, and owning the, the refrigerated trucking component and being a very big player out of Southern California for LTL partials, for reefer. Then also to, to still uh, maintaining our, our, our core clients. You know, just to go back to my first year at Diversified, one of the sales uh, things that I show my new sales staff or our employees is I, I, I literally bring out my notebook from 2004 or five that I went through and I show them my notes and I show them everything you guys are learning here at BOA came from this binder from Diversified Transportation that I took notes on, right? That's cool. And then I show them a list of new accounts that I had done throughout my first year. And one thing you'll know is I take the fittiest notes and I keep everything. You know, um, and I showed him the list of my clients and I asked him, go ahead and enter these clients into the TMS right now. And they're shocked to find that 50% of my clients from that first year are still working with us. You know, that's pretty cool. What do you, what do you label that with? I mean, I, I'm assuming it's got to be something to do with the relationships that, you guys build over at Bo with your, with your clients, but what have you guys done to keep those relationships? Yeah. So the relationship, I mean, we're a sales forward, uh, company, you know, if you look at our website, we might, I mean, not everyone's up there right now, but I mean, at this point, the Boa companies and the subsidiaries, we have under around 50 employees in total that we pay wow. full-time uh, salaries to, but there are probably only three to four sales reps. I'm sorry, maybe at this point, uh, five full-time sales reps, right? Mm-hmm. And what does that say? That means that, you know, as a, as a, as a brokerage, you are a sales forward company. You're not selling products, you're selling services. So the rest of the, the people that are employed by us are operations based to support the relationship and support the services in order to stand out amongst the, the freight behemoths such as Echo and, you know, uh, uh, CH Robinson and Coyote, TQL, because at the end of the day, 
our clients like to work with 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 you, right? They they want to work with the owners of the company. They want to work with um, the players, and you know, it's like I'd rather go to a bar where everyone knows my name. You know, cheers. You know, mm-hmm. I want people to. I want to feel special, and I think that's what we try to do here. We try to we try to get to know our clients, and we try to make sure that they don't, they're not just a number. You know. I could appreciate that. Is it the same? I'm assuming it's the same philosophy for staff as well, correct? Totally. I mean, we're uh, we're in the middle of deploying a new um, a, a new set of training for our for our management staff in order to get better success with execution for for who they work with in, with their internal teams. And mainly it's because as a Salesforce organization, a lot of your clients, uh, 3PL systems will probably attest to this. Most freight brokerages are client focused. Am I right? Mm-hmm. It's oh. all about getting more freight, mm-hmm. right? They, they then are secondary, probably vendor focused or carrier focused. Am I right? Mm-hmm. And lastly, they may be staff focused or internally with their team. So what happens is the owners who are also sales reps like myself will go out and sell the world, but may not have the, but may not be investing in the company culture. Mm-hmm. So this, the last couple of years, we've been highly focused on honing the company culture, you know, and a company culture is is, is dynamic. It's ever changing. Every time you subtract an employee or add an employee, it changes the whole rhythm, right? So, yeah. I could see that. And yeah. I, I noticed too that even, I remember this from back in the day from going to your office, that you, you do have core values that are straight on your, your website as well. Um, mm-hmm. I like the one, Be Water, my friend. Could you describe to us what that's trying to say? Yeah. So be water, my friend, is a direct quote from Bruce Lee. I told you before that Walter and I met when we were doing martial arts, and martial arts has been a big part of my life and his life. Mm-hmm. If you look at our core values, we have five of them. Most of them are martial arts lessons that we've learned and how we teach here. In, in We teach the same things here, you know. And be water, my friend, is if you guys YouTube it, Bruce Lee is was also a philosopher as well as an amazing martial artist, but it's about being adaptable and it's about taking form when you need to take form, mm-hmm. being hard and strong or being soft and fluid, knowing when to be flexible and knowing when to adapt. I love that. I think that makes total sense. So you kind of just go around whatever obstacle like water, which makes yeah. sense. I don't know if you ever told you this, but, uh, my father-in-law, Leah's dad, actually was in a movie called Game of Death with Bruce Lee. He fights him. And oh, this, wow. Yeah, he's like in a whole scene with him. That was Which shot. one? What, it's called oh, a, that would be awesome. Game, Game of Death. His name is uh, Mel. No, I know Game of Death. Yeah, he's, of course he's, I know Game of Death. He's the guy that fights Bruce Lee. The, um, his name's Mel Novak. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty I'm gonna cool. Have to, I'm going to have to take a look because Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is <laughs> in that as well. There's a lot of Dan and Santo. I, I know, of course, I grew up with it. My dad wanted me to be the next Bruce Lee. So I was learning all his movies when I was little. So No, that's 
That's super cool. Um, how did, also, I just wanted to ask you as well, how did you guys get into all these new services? Like, was that something that just came up as a result of clients asking for it and you just kind of leaned into exactly. it? Exactly. No, nothing was, I wish we had a grandmaster plan, but the honest truth is we acquire clients and the clients ask us if we can do it. And what did I say before? We say yes to everything. Oh. <laughs> but the latest venture we've done is, we took over a 55,000 square foot warehouse in, in Vernon. Jeez. And, uh, August 1st was the, the day that we took over. And, you know, that's that. Yeah. What's the deal? Said, yes. What's the deal with that warehouse? Oh, man. So it's a full functioning 3PL warehouse. We do pick, pack, storage, cross docking. We have nine docks. We've got four temperatures. We have dry, ambient, uh, chilled, and frozen. Um, we do a lot of uh, special items for food and produce related for like Trader Joe's and Costco. Um, but a lot of it is we have clients that need to store products, food, finished food, or, or, or chilled products like beverages. Uh, before it gets shipped out and this works a lot with us because we do a lot of distribution nationwide so it only made sense that we took over the warehouse but the place we were doing our, our we're building our, our our consolidation parcels out we were already using short-term storage there maybe about 15 percent of our of the warehouse was dedicated to us and then you know we got word uh right around covid time you know, March and April, the owners of the warehouse said, Hey, we're moving to Mexico. We're moving to Mexico. Do you, you know, we'd like you guys to take over our warehouse. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, remember I said, we say yes to everything. And, uh, I think this is probably the last time we say yes to everything. <laughs> Thanks for sticking around and listening to the first episode of 3PL live. Special shout out to Matt Mugar for being the first guest on our show. We appreciate you and we love your your story and wish you continued success.